Crazy to think we're already in February, and Lent starts this week. <laughs> um, but we're super excited um, because this year we're gonna, um, as a as a family, uh, do this uh, corporate uh, guide to prayer throughout the 40 days of Lent called Seek God for the City, and um, it's there's. Um, Basically what it is, is every day um, throughout the 40 days is just some guidelines and some things to pray for specifically for our city. And because the Lord's been speaking to us and we really know that um, our presence and um, part of our role is in carrying forth and bringing forth God's kingdom in the city, part of that is through prayer. And so we want to do this together. And so on the back table behind this over there, there's if you want a hard copy booklet, they're a recommended donation of three dollars. Um, or if you're um, more app friendly, there is actually an app that does the same thing, and it's ninety-nine cents. So it's up to you, like how you know you want to do it. Um, also for the families, and they're getting some information because they're getting even the families like there's uh, kids. PDF that you can download and then like bring your fam your kids through it as well. So again, we're doing it all together as a family and just want to encourage you guys to participate um, over these next 40 days of Lent, which starts on Wednesday. Um, and then into um, so then the week of Easter, um, so this ends on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And then that week, um, there'll be a three-day fast, a corporate fast that we'll do as a family um, from the 23rd to the 26th. And rather than meeting on Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're going to actually meet um, Easter Saturday. So the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we'll meet here at 4 p.m. for worship and fellowship meal to break that fast. So just to kind of put that in your mind before we get too far into March. So. If you have any questions, we'll be in the back after. All right. Awesome. All right. I'm excited. Um, it's interesting because even as we worshiped earlier, or praying earlier, I was praying with Jen in the service, the Lord gave me a, a visual, just a vision of someone's hand reaching out for something. And the impression of the vision was that the person was seeking him for something, and then all of a sudden the hand pulled back, and then the Lord was pleased, as if the person was just wanting just to be with him. So just everything that was shared is just pretty wild to this point. Ephesians 6 was really burning in my heart, Ephesians 6, 12, that our battle was being against flesh and blood. And the idea that the fact that all of us have been attacked, I think that it's important to, before I go into what I'm going to share, just for you guys to have a little bit of idea, context, of what's going on. Because we shared with you in the beginning of the year that God had impressed certain scriptures in our hearts um, that were real, that we went to our retreat. And um, God you know, put in our hearts 1 Peter chapter 2. He gave 2 and Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Uh, he gave me Hebrews 6. I mean, this... This, these words that were coming to us, and he gave several people dreams about milk and about desiring the pure milk of the word. So 
part of, you know, as we grow together, number one, first of all, God gave us something and direction. That means that the devil is going to come and hit us hard. And it was pretty wild. I, mean, I woke up uh, the Wednesday before Pastor Vo came in for the Shepherding God's Flock uh, class. And I woke up, Ephesians 6, 12. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is really heavy. So you remember, he told me, remember your battle is a good special blood. And then I opened up my two devotions that morning, and both devotions are on Ephesians 6, 12. And I'm like, okay. I, I don't need a feather to fly down the sky and have a confirmation. <laughs> Okay, and then actually, you know, I'm getting texts. All these people are getting sick. All these things are happening. But the Lord kept reminding me, listen, you're being attacked because of the genuine word that I gave you. The word that I've given this particular group of people, this family, is something the devil's going to fight us against. He's not going to just be happy that we received God's word. He's going to challenge us. He's going to try to get us distracted on that word because he knows that word is going to bring us to maturity. That was the whole thing. The whole message overall was God encouraging us, urging us to grow in him in a greater way this year. So even like uh, what uh, Vincent shared, I mean, the, first, the Lord reminded me of 1 Peter, and I'll go there first. Okay. 1 Peter chapter 1, this is verse 6, it says, in this you greatly rejoice, you don't have to turn there, but just if you want to be through Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Like these trials that come at us because we receive the word, the purpose is for us to give God even greater glory and that us for us to even have a joy in us, this inexpressible joy that we can express in the midst of trials. This is not in vain. We're going to go through trials together, and it's really good that someone mentioned, you know, like, fact that all of us are going together, like God's living our hearts. He wants us to be concerned about how each other are doing to a greater degree. It's just not us going through something, it's other people going through stuff. But this is how it works. God allows us as a family to go through trials. This is Israel. Went through particular trials together. And they had an opportunity through faith in God to grow together, to know God's heart, to know his presence. So Again, I want to just really encourage you guys, don't forget the context. Okay, we're a small church, but God isn't interested in numbers. He's not like, oh my God, this is a small church, so I won't speak to them. No, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. And it's exciting because the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 1, the word of the Lord endures forever. And no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're facing, the word trumps every circumstance. That's why we have joy. That's why the devil tries to steal that word, because he knows that word is valuable. That word trumps everything that we face. Everything. So we've received something in December and in January. Now we are basically, we are 
And the devil hates that. He hates that. Because you've received something that's going to help you win. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. And it's funny how some of the things that we're sharing already are in line with this. <laughs> I've never shared out of this passage before. Before I do, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you again. I need you, Lord, to walk through these passages that you put on my heart. Lord, you're just so awesome. I have to surrender my mind and my heart to you right now. I need your spirit. I thank you again. You're already here. You're present. Thank you, Jesus. Move upon us. Make us one. Make us one, Lord. That we're all working in the same direction. One purpose, one heart, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 13. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, um, think some people think it's Paul, but he begins the chapter with several different like directions. Uh, he mentions brotherly love in verse one. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to uh, entertain strangers. Speaking of hospitality, which we you know, awesome, great word from Gustavo. Best with about him. Then remember the prisoners as a chain with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are also in the body. But he mentions marriage in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all. Here's verse 5. This is where I want you to focus in on. Verse 5 through 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things that you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I think it's interesting that the vision that I had earlier was about someone reaching their hand and seeking God for things. And at the end of the vision, the hand is withdrawn and God's pleased with that. And we had Teddy's exhortation about the whole things external that are affecting us. So God really highlighted this scripture, this, this particular word covetousness, because I think that part of how, how God, not us, is unpacking things for us as a community is that he's pointing different things that are keeping us from really focusing what, on realizing what we really have. Last week, I don't think, and if you haven't heard the message that Scott Volk shared on forgiveness, I encourage you to do so. It's not, the kingdom life is not coincidental. It's not coincidence in the kingdom. The Holy Spirit moves through different people in different times in order to speak to us in certain ways. And I don't think last week's message was coincidence when he spoke on forgiveness and the importance of us getting things out. He mentioned that part of his testimony was that God said, I want to fill you, but you're filled with so many other things. He needed to empty himself out of the bitterness. In his case, it was bitterness. It was all these different things. But then here's the Lord this week saying, but also covetousness. Covetousness is something we can be filled up with that, that, that distorts and even blinds us to what we really have. And this is why in the Hebrews right here, he's tying, he's saying, 
Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with what things you have. For he himself has said. He starts talking about, I will never leave you or forsake you. So he's basically saying, if you're living a life full of covetousness, you will not remember who you really have. If you're filled with all these different things that are temporal, it will be easy for you to forget by promise what you really have. So the Christian is in a very blessed position. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we have a treasure in this earthen vessel. We have something that the world longs for. It's in us. It's in us. It's Christ. This is Colossians. Christ in us the hope of glory. But what happens in, the, in our lives is we're pursuing God. We tend to drift away at times because we start thinking that this life is about acquiring things. Possessions and different things. And we have a natural tendency to want things, right? And we, we have a natural tendency to want things. We want to acquire things. It's naturally built in us. We want things. But it's law also that, again, even last week, and even part of the house church we have, Psalm 23 comes up again, right? <laughs> comes up in the house church before Scott Bo comes into town. The Lord is my shepherd. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd, verse 1, I shall not want. Why is David, I mean, again, when I was in the class, I was thinking, man, the revelation of just being able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And he's my shepherd. My God, the rhema in that, the, the, the personal attachment, like, this is my shepherd. I need that. I need that revelation. I need to walk in the reality that this is my provider, my protector, my security. All of it is in Jesus Christ. And why? And when someone has that revelation, I shall not want will follow. I shall not want. I'm not going to be pursuing personal gain because personal gain blinds me to what I already have. And that's Jesus. It blinds me to what I already have. So unforgiveness, you know, even when he shut last week, was so powerful. It's powerful. He's blind to his own unforgiveness. He's, he's harboring these things. He doesn't look back. He's hurting, you know, and I thank God for Scott's heart. You know, it's so transparent. But this is, this is where many people stumble. Because they feel like it's okay to pursue things selfishly for their own personal gain. So again, let me go back a little bit. The context is war. God gives us the war, a word. The devil's fighting God. We're in a battle. We're in a fight. His, one of his chief tools is covetousness and fear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you to drift away from the true faith so that you forget who Jesus is. And when you forget that Jesus is with you, you will even covet even more. And you will long for things that are temporal, forgetting what you really have. So the reference here in verse 5 speaks of an Old Testament passage that we need to go to. This is Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. So let's go there real quick. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. Thank you. 
So as you know, this is the transition chapter, and this is actually the chapter of conquest. Joshua and the people of God are going into war right now. This is the context they're going to fight. They're going to step into this land that God has promised them, and they're not, God's not going to just give it to them. Even though in a sense, yes, this is your land, but you're going to have to fight. Okay? So verse 5. Yeah, after he promises again what the land, what their possession is, he says, verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not, not leave you nor forsake you. An interesting verse. The same verse we find in Hebrews 13 is the same one they're quoting right here. Before Joshua goes into battle, he's reminded of the fact that no human power can stand up against him. There's no man that can oppose Joshua because I'm with you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. The promise of his presence gives Joshua the courage to move forward. He's promised me just as he was with Moses, he's going to be with me. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. But to this people you shall divide an inheritance. The land which I have swore to their fathers and to give. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which my Moses, my Moses my servant commanded you to do. Do not turn from the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it and then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So it's not a coincidence that God keeps highlighting the fact that he's promising his presence. He's promising Joshua that he's going to be with him in the midst of everything he's going to face. Because if Joshua gets his eyes off that promise of the fact of his presence, Joshua's going to start to drift. He's going to start to count and look at his resources as a way of strength instead of remembering his strength is found in the presence. Strength is found in knowing that God's with them in this battle. So we're in this battle, and our primary battle right now is one of those most unforgiveness, which again, I encourage you to read. This is the message. It is a devil's chief tool unforgiveness. Number two, covetousness. Okay? So let's look at the example of what happens to, while they're fighting through different situations, something that happens in Joshua chapter 6. They've just won the battle of Jericho. They've just followed God's instructions. Joshua 6 Says, says here. Yes. Well, after the battle, the Lord tells them, "Do not touch the spoils of a battle." Basically, these these. There's a, there's a big victory, and they're spoiled. And he says, do not covet these things. Do not touch these things that have been offered to the Lord. 
And later on, you read that they actually did come at them. They went and pursued them, and it caused them to lose the battle. They went over and coveted these material things that have been left over from Jericho, and because they coveted those things, it led to a defeat. You see, part of what, why we have to understand the danger of this is that covetousness robs us of victory. It puts us in a position of defeat when we covet these temporal things. They're not thinking that's going to be a big deal to take these small things. The Bible says that Achan was the one who hid the treasures in his tent. But he caused the entire camp to, to be defeated at Ai. His covetousness affected a bunch of people. And it caused a national disgrace. So these things, this covetousness is a really big deal for the Lord. Because if we're not careful, again, and we cover these things, we're not going to have the victory that God's called us to walk in. I know that sometimes covetousness is viewed as something like, you know what, I want money. And people, most of the time, equate that to financial things. Like, you know, I want more money, more money. That's the person's coveting. But it's across the board. You could be a single person in this room and see someone married and covet that. And want to be married so badly that you will make decisions on personal gain in order to get married. It could be a single thing. It could be a married couple seeing other successful married couples. And they're going to man, we covet what they have. And they start working things out in their own flesh to acquire those things. So this is not just about money, even though money does play a role in it. But it's about across the board, like someone was saying earlier, do not compare ourselves to other Christians. We fall into danger, these traps of the devil, that try to get us to compare ourselves to others who may be more successful. And next thing you know, we're coveting what they have. And we're drifting away from the faith that we need to have. We're drifting away from the reality of who we have. This is it, man. When Jesus is on the boat, remember that, that story about him, the storm comes and he's on the boat and he's sleeping? The disciples are looking at everything else and they go, man, don't you care about us? He's sleeping. They literally forget that he's in the boat with them. And when he wakes up and he commands the seas and the winds the way to stop, they say, who can this be? That even the winds and the sea obey him. See, they don't, they don't see him. They don't recognize who they really have with them. And even when you read later about them, you know, they say, man, we forgot bread. <laughs> They're like, we forgot bread back there. He's like, man, are your hearts still hardened? Didn't you learn from the first two miracles? And I fed the 5,000 and the 4,000? I mean, how many baskets were left over? Who remembers? 12 and one and what? Seven and the other. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, man, you're forgetting who, who's with you. Because you keep looking for everything else but me, as if I'm not enough. As if Jesus is not enough for us. As if somehow we're incomplete if we don't have a certain job, we don't have a certain ministry, we don't have a certain wife or a certain husband. I mean, somehow we're incomplete. But God said, man, listen, you got to recognize what you really have before you can really mature. With my kids, it's one of the things I do with my kids. I try to remind them all the time of what they have. Because I know that if they forget what they have, 
They're going to be like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. I go, well, what about what you have? Where are you going to be thankful for what you have? Because if you're not thankful for what you have, you're going to miss it. Your hearts are going to drift away into some mess. And the first thing people do is they forget. I mean, even my own personal testament when I got married to Lenise. You know, before I got married, the Lord told me, you're going to marry her. And I remember going to the beach and I'm excited. I might have said this story for you guys before. But I'm at the beach and I'm thinking, I'm ready to get married to her. I want to get married tomorrow. <laughs> and I was just so happy that I heard from him that she's going to be my wife. And I was like, this is awesome. And then I'm like, okay, Lord, when? And he's like, well, if you, if you get what you want, you're going to forget about me. And I was on the beach, and I'll never forget that day. Because now I told him, I'll never forget about you, Jesus. Because you will forget about me. Because you're coveting that. Your heart needs to be changed. So that you don't see it as the goal. That's not the goal. The goal is the glory of God. Amen. So if I would have got what I wanted, at that time, I would have forgot Jesus. And I probably wouldn't be divorced. Because without Jesus, I can't have a successful marriage. I would have just forgotten. He told me, you're going to forget about me if you have what you want. Because your heart, you don't know your heart yet. You don't know what's in your heart. I need to show you. I need to test your heart. You need to see what's in it. That you are coveting more. And even Paul talks about this. Paul says, I kept the entire law until I read, I do not covet. Paul said, when I read Do Not Covet, I was a hot mess. Because in Paul's world, I'm sure he's thinking he's got these, you know, these Pharisees, Gamaliel, and all these different Pharisees. Like, Man, I want to be those, but I want to be the top guy. I want to be the most important. And he's coveting these positions. He wants to feel important, right? But God's presence, I will never leave you or forsake you, is what makes us feel important. It's the fact that he's willing to enter into our lives, no matter what the condition you may be in. I was reminded today of the story of uh, Simon and the woman uh, who came, how the Pharisee invited Jesus into his house. And it's an interesting story. I read it again with my kids today, and I was just saying, wow, you know, it's interesting. Jesus is willing to go into this man's house. And Simon doesn't even recognize him at all. He doesn't recognize who Jesus is, but this woman who's a sinner, she recognizes who Jesus is. And she comes behind him, and she's weeping before him, and she's kneeling, and she's wiping his feet with her hair, and she's weeping. And he's like, man, if this guy knew who this woman was, if he was a prophet, if he knew who, she, who this woman was, he, he wouldn't even let her touch him. And it's interesting, like, God is willing to come inside of us Enter into our homes, into our lives. And many times we don't recognize that as the most precious thing. The Pharisee didn't see it. He wants to criticize Jesus. He wants to like, look at Jesus. This is not a prophet. What is this but she's like, man, here he is, right here. And every time someone recognizes who he really is, the fact that he's around them, it does something. Zacchaeus, Luke 19. He's like, man, let me climb up the tree. Let me look at this guy. The Bible says he's rich. He has money. But there's something missing in his heart. 
And he recognizes Jesus is coming, and he sees him, and Jesus says, I'm going to stay in your house today. It's interesting. Today I'm going to stay in your house. And later on he says, salvation is coming to this house. So the, the fact that God is willing to enter into your life, how should we respond to that? To this promise in Hebrews 13, and even Joshua 1.5, how should we respond to the fact that no matter what our sinful state was, he was willing to come in and not rent out space, but take permanent residence. It's not like a temporary, hey, I'll be here six months and I'm out. I'm going to renovate things and I'm out, okay? I've come to be here forever. Forever. He's not intimidated by our sins. He wants us to keep our eyes on who's with us and stop looking at the temporal things as if these temporal things are going to get rid of our sin, are going to make us happier. No, they're not. You weren't made for this world. If you are born again in this room, you're from another world. And this world is too low to satisfy you. It doesn't have the ability to bring joy and satisfaction to your heart because you were made for one person. You were born again. That's the beauty of it, man. You're a different creature. This covetousness is such a trap. This acquiring of these things. As if, again, like Jesus says in another passage, there's a, his brother says, Rabbi, Tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus, who am I? I'm not your judge. I'm not your arbitrator. This is the life does not consist of the things that you possess. That's not where life is. He's thinking, man, if you can just get this inheritance split, we're going to be good. Jesus like, no, that's not it. That's not it. And this is why he mentions here in the Hebrews the idea of Fear. Because the more you base your life on temporal things, the more you're in bed with fear. The more you fix your eyes on these things that can be taken away from you in any moment, any moment, the more you're going to live in fear. And fear is a faith killer. Fear kills faith. Do not let your conduct let your kind of be without covetousness. We gotta empty ourselves of the idea that somehow if we get promoted at work, if we get the new car, if we get these, if our finances are in order, no, 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 no. Listen, those things are important, but they cannot be the most important thing. They can't be the most important thing. That's why I love Vince's testimony. See, that's gold right there. That's the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, you got to love me more than your children. Why? Because if parents live, love their children more than, their, than God, they're going to covet. They're going to covet. If they value their children's affections more than God's voice, they're going to covet because now they're going to live for those children and not for the Lord. 
They're not going to live in the realm of the kingdom. They're going to live to serve them. And that's why you see so many homes in a hot mess. Because the kids are in charge. Not the parents, not the Lord. The kids are in charge. Do this work very subtly. This is not, this is real crafty. The devil, so he's a clever devil. He's a clever devil. He's smarter than us. Trust me, he's smarter than us. He has created a whole entire system, a world system, in order to seduce us into this world system. He's not a dummy. He's like, listen, I know this guy wants to get married more than anybody else in this room. So I'm going to just bombard him with thoughts about getting married. And I'm going to surround him with all these different images so that he's like, man, I just want to be married. He's just confessing that. That's his goal now. That's his desire. That's his, what he's coveting for. And now he's drawn away. The Bible says in James, God does not tempt any man. He's drawn away by his own desires, his lust, that leads to sin, that leads to death. So this is a war. This is no game. God, the devil's like, I want to get that person to experience death, a broken fellowship with God. That's what he wants. That's why in Ephesians says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Basically, if you read the Amplified Version, it says, strengthen your union with him. The most important part of the branch is that piece that goes into the vine. That piece is the, I don't care what's hanging off the branch. I don't care if it's a, it's a 50 foot branch. It could, be a, it could be an amazing branch, it could have amazing fruit, but the most important part of that branch is that piece that's connected to the vine. That's the critical juncture point. Because without that connection, there's no life. So when that branch is cut off, it's dead. And that's why covetousness is his chief, chief weapon. Because covetousness leads us to sin. And sin leads to broken fellowship. And now you don't experience the life of God. This is basic warfare, guys. You're in a fight for your lives. You're in a real fight. I want to really encourage you. God, because he gave us his word, that very word that we have, and we're willing to submit to it, will give us the strength, the power to overcome any temptation, anything we're going to face. But it all begins with remembering what you had. All maturity. Again, children, you know, that's why God makes us parents. He wants us to help. When we see our kids realizing what they have and they're thankful for it, it's a, it's a, it's a place of joy in many parents' hearts. When a child says, man, I'm so thankful for what I have, you feel like the Lord just visited you. Yeah. Oh, Holy Spirit. That was amazing. There's something about a child stepping out and recognizing that, being thankful for what they have, that just changes your attitude. Whoa, how did that happen? Did something happen in school today? And I think the father responds the same way. He's like, man, don't you know what you have? Don't you know how I split heaven and sent down the Holy Spirit and gave you such a treasure for you to meditate on, surrender to, just completely hand yourself over to so that you would not covet. 
Because there's no need to covet. There's no need to desire and long for it, lust for things that, again, are not going to complete you. The Bible says that you are completed Christ. You're completed Him and Him alone. I really feel that part of what we're doing the next several months, this word is important because if you're not envying yourself for these things, how are you going to receive what God wants you to have? How are you going to see what God wants you to see? If you're so caught up in everything else, you're not going to see it. And, you, and people, some people are going to rejoice in front of you and be like, I don't, I don't understand why they're, you know, this is what happened. Well, what's in your heart? What's filled your heart? So, I don't know what things, but James 4. Let's go there and we're almost done. I know the Super Bowl is going on. I know some of you guys have your Carolina Panther tattoos on and it really is okay. Temporary tattoos. <laughs> temporary tattoos. Praise God for those temporary ones. Look at how lust affects your prayer life. James chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Verse 1. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now listen. He's tying covetousness to friendship with God, the friendship with the world. He's tying these pleasures that we want to spend on ourselves with friendship with the world. Making ourselves enmity, an enemy of God. This is a critical, critical passage. You don't receive because you want to spend it on yourself. So he says, no, I'm not giving you that. Because I don't want to give you something for you to keep spending it on yourself. Because the more you get stuff for yourself and keep giving pleasure for yourself, the more you're going to think that everything's about you. And about you. So God withholding things is his blessing. Because the last thing we need to do is believe that life is about us. My goodness. Help us. Have mercy. I'm just being real with you guys. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you think you know your heart, and you're like, oh, I got this. The devil's like, yeah, I got you. I got you. He, he knows exactly what's, how your heart works. Let's turn to Matthew 13, and we'll finish here. We want to renounce all covetousness. We do not want to be a people that our conduct is marked with that. 
the book of Acts is that wonderful passage again. And the Lord always reminds you of that. And the people sold everything they had and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Their response to the gospel was, man, our possessions are for the glory of God, for the advancement of the kingdom. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that God would challenge us to give to missions more and give in general more to share. I don't think that's a coincidence. He's doing that in order for us to really grasp the fact that we're sowing into eternity. We're blessed. Not in this world. Matthew 13, verse 44. Wonderful parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found in him. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says later on, the kingdom of heaven is within you. He says, the kingdom is in you now. But this man here in this parable, this man comes to a realization that what he found is more valuable than anything he possesses. He's found something that he says in his heart, this is worth more than anything that I have right now. So I'm willing to get rid of all of this in order to have that one thing. And Jesus likens it to the kingdom of heaven. Listen, when we really get it, when we're really seeing straight, when we're seeing things the right way, our possessions are going to pale in comparison to what we really have. That's why we won't covet. Because now we have the most valuable thing on the earth. We have the kingdom. And we're willing to sell everything else in order to have that. Everything else. It pales in comparison. He's, the Bible says he's got joy, right? See, this is the mark of a Christian. The mark of a mature Christian is someone who has joy in his heart. Because he has something, he realizes he has something that is far more valuable than anything else he possesses. That's why he can have joy. That's why Paul, that's why in 1 Peter says that when we're going through these trials, the genuineness of our faith, it, the product is inexpressible joy. The trial is designed to mature you so that you would have joy. Because now you realize what you really have. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He cannot fail me and he will not abandon me. This is the promise. So I can boldly say the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see? He says to Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. No one can stand before you because you have me. Don't you understand who you have? You have me. And no matter what their threats may be, I know whatever they come. Again, if you look at the book of Acts, it's really funny. They threatened the apostles, but they didn't stop the movement. We're here because the apostles. Because they were threatened, like, so what? We have a joy. We have the kingdom. You can't stop us. You can kill us, you can, you can beat us, you can do whatever you want. And Paul talks about this. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he mentions this treasure in this earthen vessel, after he mentions this, he mentions about all the things. I'm crushed, 
but not overcome. I'm, I'm persecuted. All these things. Why is he saying that? Because of what he has. He has the treasure in his earthen vessel. They're trying to crush me, but I'm going to overcome because of what I have. I have a treasure in this earthen vessel. And that's why it's so critical for us to understand what we have. That's why in this passage, the warning is do not remove covetousness. Don't pursue these things that don't matter, like my brother was sharing. These external things. They're not going to make you wiser. They're not going <laughs> to that. It's Christ in us. It's his presence. It's his promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? Amen. So, this walk of maturity begins with this. That's why it says in the book of Jude, keep yourself in the love of God. Pray in your most holy faith. Don't forget what you have. We sang about that. Good, good father. He loves me. I'm loved by him. Over and over. I mean, let that be the meditation of your heart. This is Joshua again. Meditate on it. Day and night. Over and over. Meditate. Who's with you? Who's with you? Who's with you? He's with me. He promised he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He's with me. I tell you right now, if you do that, if you practice meditating on that, you will be a different person by the end of the week. You will be bolder. You'll be more confident. Because you are remembering who's with you. So when you enter into a house, who's with you? Healing. That's right. Is healing, healing available? Well, yeah. Not because I'm here. Because he's with me. So then we're not like, oh, I got I to gotta heal this person. No, you don't. <laughs> you ain't got to heal anybody. You need to remember who's with you. He's going to do the healing. He can. That's why he does a lot of his work entering into houses. Because he's trying to remind us. These apostles, these people that were, he's with them. All the power is there. All the power is there. A boundless, I love the Amplified Version. It says, boundless power. Boundless power. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're calling us to be a people who get rid of covetousness. That there's no itch the devil can scratch because of what we have. I pray this week and even tonight the Lord you would, like my brother was praying earlier, you would search our hearts for any desires that we may have for personal gain. That we're trying to make efforts in order to acquire. God, I pray that you would cut it off. That your Holy Spirit would come into our lives and there would be a separation, a cutting off of this covetousness. God, I pray that we would submit and surrender to the reality that you will never leave us or forsake us. You cannot fail. You are more than enough. So I pray that you would seal and just really establish our hearts this way. Like it says in your word, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. God, I pray that our hearts would be so that you would set you apart in such a way that God, that the things of this world become strangely them. Lord, we want to honor you, God. We know that if we live covetously, we will not honor you, God. We can't truly move in boldness 
We can't truly live out of fear if we're comforting things. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you just move upon us tonight. You already have, and I just ask you to just do it again. That we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? That your perfect love would cast out all fear in this room. That the fear of loss, the fear of losing our reputations, the fear of losing promotions, the fear of losing money would be broken off our lives. We won't cover what our neighbor has, but we will be thankful for what we do have. And it begins with you, Lord. It begins with knowing that you are living inside of us. You have taken up residence inside of us so that we can rejoice. We can rejoice because you're in us. We have a hope and assurance that will not fade away. We have an assurance and guarantee. We have a deposit who's the Holy Spirit inside of us. That this life is not the end. That we're just pilgrims passing through. So help us, Lord, not to run hard after these external things. Give us grace this week, this night even, to not to run hard after these external things. That we would pursue you, God, in such a way where we can bring you glory and honor. In the name of Jesus. If you find yourself in a position where you feel you have coveted things, again, we're the body. There's no condemnation here. I want to encourage you to get prayer, either from your neighbor next to you, or if you want to come up and get prayer, that's fine. But the enemy is serious about this. He wants to fill your conduct with covetousness. If you're struggling with certain things that you really, really want and it just really consumes your heart, I really want to encourage you to come up and get prayer. Because the enemy is working hard. And he wants you to forget that. He wants you to believe that Jesus isn't enough. That somehow you need something else. So, Father, thank you again for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit.